welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. Today, we have two of the guys leading Cinematic. We have Hovain, who is the president of Cinematic Music Management, and we have Busy, who's the head of creative at Cinematic Music Group. Fellas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Word, thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. I mean, we're definitely recording this in a stressful time, I think, for all of us that are working within the music industry and more broadly within the entertainment landscape, given everything that's happening the past couple of weeks. And I guess before we get too deep into this, how has it been for both of you, both personally and still wanting to continue your work, given all of the social unrest that's been happening the past few weeks? For me personally, it's been terrible. I don't think there's any way to describe it, but terrible has been draining. Uh, you feel defeated, sometimes helpless. It's something that you kind of like experience your whole life, but now it's getting shown to the world. But overall, it's just been like combined with COVID and the losses of lives from that. And then with police brutality and all that, it's been super hard to focus on things. Yeah, I echo a lot of that. I will say for COVID, you know, the COVID era that we were in pre the social unrest, you know, it was obviously devastating and terrible, but I honestly found different, more efficient ways to work in that climate and with my team. And I learned a lot during that, even as far as just like routine, because, you know, you go to the office and you kind of have this structure that's kind of there for you. So now when you remove that, I was kind of forced to like implement my own kind of routine and my own structure and my own you know, streamlining communication with my team and making sure that it's super effective. So in a lot of ways, I feel like from work perspective, despite it being a terrible, terrible thing, I did learn a lot. But then once the recent social unrest started to happen, like Hovain said, it's just been very, very difficult. It's been very draining. It's almost like having two jobs, like running concurrent, you know, like you still have to get work done. You still have a certain amount of output that you're expected to have and that you want to have because we're obviously still passionate about what we do. But then we have this whole other element that we have to account for that can just be very taxing on your mental. And then also in a leadership role, you also want to support your team. You know what I'm saying? So it's ways on you, but you're also kind of like making sure that everybody else is okay and making sure that your family's okay. So it's been rough, not going to front. Have you been able to find time for yourself given all of this? Because it sounds like you all have been working pretty nonstop busy. I know you're in the middle of a video shoot right now. And Hove, you said you had been traveling as well, doing projects. Has it been tough trying to keep the engine going, but you know that you still got to keep yourself centered? I'm finding a balance. Before all of this happened, I was working in this business. You sometimes emerge yourself and work. Even when you're home, you find yourself working. If you're talking to some of your friends or coworkers that work in the music business, you're usually talking about things that are going on in the music business. So right before this happened, I started to learn how to carve out a little time for myself and just be focused on family and uh, real friends and like doing stuff for yourself. So during all of this, like I started taking walks, like me and my partner or me, Dolo, or me and my wife would go for a walk, just like walk, talk, just focus on the now and like, you know, that's those have been my good times. Solo drives and solo walks. Definitely solo drives. Nice. Definitely solo drives. For me, I honestly can't say that I have I haven't really done the best job at finding time for myself. It's always kind of been a challenge for me to make that time. But I do find myself, you know, being home more and just kind of 
taking care of my personal space is something that I found that I enjoy a lot more. Like our line of work is all about being outside. And that's almost like uh, beating on your chest. Like, oh, I'm outside. I'm always outside. Like I'm at this event. Like you see me, I'm working. No out sleep gang. Yeah, like no sleep gang, right? But like sleep is so important. Sleep should take up a third of your day, literally, you know? But it was just like, yeah, I don't sleep. I got home at four and I'm up for this meeting at nine. But now with, you know, everything in the world kind of just changing, it's like, okay, well, I'm inside and, you know, I'm going to buy some plants and I'm going to like, you know, just take care of my personal space and kind of enjoy just being home. But it's still a challenge. Start a garden. (laughs) Start a garden. Yeah. No, that no sleep gang thing is real because I feel like you know, when I had started in my career from growing up, there was this whole sleep when you die mentality, right? Like you're following Diddy and his whole process of get working 20 hours a day. But I think this new generation of folks that are in the game now are starting to realize, no, like we can't do that. We'll literally and have problems longer than we want them to. And we really got to pause and reset. So I'm glad to hear that y'all have been on that tip too. Yeah, trying to, man. Yeah, there was like a motivational speaker. And I remember one of the things that really stuck with me was like, sleep is for people who are broke. Pretty much like you, you got like, you got to like, you got to get it. Like, what are you sleeping for? And for a big part of my life, I was like, word, while you're sleeping, I'm going to get to it. But now I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's the world. It's like, no, sleep is important. Rest is important. Boundaries are important. Self-care is important. Saying, hey, I'm on vacation. I'm not responding to your email. Like all those things are really important. You know, I'm learning, I'm evolving in that way, but I'm at least able to identify the need for it. That makes sense. I think part of the hustle, I will say, is warranted given all of the dope work that you all are doing. I think Cinematic has definitely made a name for itself the past few years, say especially the past three, four years in the industry. But for those that are less familiar, how would you all break down Cinematic's business? What would you say are the core areas that the listeners should know about? So Cinematic is a management, label, and content company. Those are kind of like the three verticals that we focus on. So like you said, Hovain kind of leads the management, the record label. You know, we have a staff that has, you know, all the departments that you would find in a normal record label. I happen to be on the creative team. And then we have a content vertical, which just focuses on, you know, YouTube and original content. I would say... The more, you know, known acts that kind of put cinematic on the map are obviously like the Joey Badasses, the Big Crits. Everybody knows Johnny Shipes. Bound was the first person to sign Nipsey Hussle and find Big Crit. Smoke Dizza, Flip De Niro. So, yeah, I would say like, you know, we recently probably caught our second win, like you said, in the past like three, four years with some of the other budding young talent like Flip De Niro, Lil Kel, Young and Ace. So I don't know if that answered the question, but I hope it did. Yeah, that was good because I think the structure is especially at the content side as well and management and then just the label. I think that's the, to call it the new wave or call it the modern wave might be a bit dismissive to past labels out there. But at least when we take a step back and look at the way media is working right now, So one, how media really is essential to any business that's trying to have a voice and your content, even outside of what your artists are putting out for music matters. But then secondly, how can you work with artists in a way where artists, a lot of them, especially in hip hop, aren't willing to sign the same 
labels to sign to the same type of deals that they signed to decades in the past. So I feel like the way you all are structured is intentional in that from a modern approach of being like, yeah, we get it. A lot of you aren't necessarily going to want to give up your masters or a lot of you aren't necessarily going to want to give everything in, but us finding a way to still partner and add value to you and show our value is important. And I feel like the way you all are structured is a signal of that. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely progressive in that way. It's not just one size fits all kind of approach. You know what I'm saying? And that's why we kind of have a wide spectrum of artists, even some, you know, legacy artists, like we work with Cameron. It's very malleable in that way because we are, you know, independent and we are lean that we can kind of do whatever needs to be done we're agile in that way so it's like cool like you already have all your shit set up like you just need management cool like shipes and hovain they will they'll get you right in the management you know you have all your music right where you need videos cool we have a whole content department that we can just focus on that so that's definitely one of the benefits of being an indie I think as well, like looking at the management side of things and with you hope specifically I know this has been your wheelhouse for a minute. You had managed Troy Ave, you had managed plenty of other artists as well. But I often feel like this is one of the most thankless jobs in the industry, being the manager, because you're called on to do so much and you don't necessarily always get A, the credit and B, the money that comes along with doing the work that needs to be done. How has that been in terms of your mindset leading this arm of the business? I know what it is. I don't look for thanks in a thankless job. Like, you know, if you've been doing this for as long as I've been doing it, if you're at this point still looking for someone to thank you or give you the credit you deserve or the money you deserve, you're in the wrong profession. So it's like, you know, I know how it goes. Sometimes you're going to have a great rapport with the artist. Sometimes it's going to be strictly business. Sometimes you're going to make an artist get to a certain point and you and him are going to split ways. Sometimes you'll work with an artist for the length of his career. That's just how the game goes. So it's like, I don't come into it looking for the praise and the thanks and all the attributes that come along with all the hard work I do. I know what I do. People know what I do. So that's why I'm able to have these longstanding relationships and management clients because of reputation. So even if people don't thank you or your clients are not praising you or like, you know, lifting you up to a higher platform, people know the people who really do this to move the shakers of the music business, they know. Yeah. And with that, you have to find your own personal validation and your own sense of gratification to be like, no, I'm doing a good job. I did this because, you know, you're not going to get the pats on the back from everyone else. Yeah, exactly. I know my work. The people who actually I respect and do similar work or in a similar field, they know when we all get together and we all uh, hanging out and having drinks or whatever, they be like, yo, man, you're killing shit. You know what I'm saying? So that's all that matters at the end of the day. And you know, if you really put in a hard day's work, if you earned your sleep or not. True. But not sleep until you die, though. We can't have any more of that. (laughs) (laughs) What are the other things? I hope I think I heard you say this on a different podcast, but thinking about the way that cinematic is built and understanding now you're giving fans the music for free, but you're selling them on the lifestyle. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means for cinematic and busy? I'm sure this applies to your work as well. Yeah. It'd be great to hear how that mentality, how that mindset shapes the work that you all do and how you think about the business. Now with like physical sales, not being what they were, right? Like you're not selling CDs for $18 anymore, which is really where you would get the bulk of your profit. 
music now is kind of just like a vehicle to kind of get into these other spaces and really exploit those other verticals to make money. You know what I'm saying? You kind of just got to get into those spaces. So it's like right now, if you're Joe Schmo, there's no way that Adidas can justify cutting you a check because you're nobody. But if you make music and you can kind of build a fan base and like establish yourself as an authority in a specific space or with a specific demo, then you can go to Adidas and be like, look, you see all these people right here? Like, they do what I say. You know what I'm saying? Like, they listen to me. I can mobilize my audience and my fan base. If y'all want access to this, y'all got to pay me. You know what I'm saying? So that's really, like, now people are realizing, well, hopefully more and more people are beginning to realize. I feel, in my opinion, not enough people are realizing, especially a lot of the younger artists, especially a lot of the younger street artists. They get so, like, this tunnel vision and just, like, this is what I want to do. They don't realize all the opportunities that the music can really afford them. But yeah, like Hope said, you're selling a lifestyle, you're selling a brand, you're selling yourself in a lot of ways, not necessarily the hit record that you have on the radio. And I think when a lot of people hear selling lifestyle, the first thing that comes to mind is merch. And the thing beyond that is t-shirts, right? I think a lot of people look at Travis Scott's merch game or someone else that just can do the big drop and can sell however many t-shirts about the latest single or the album coming out. But I think that it's much broader than that. So Hove, I'm curious from your perspective, what are some of the other ways that cinematic sells the lifestyle beyond some of the typical things that people often hear about from companies in the industry? Oh, like lifestyle is way more than just like a t-shirt and merch and shit like that. It's coming to the show. It's signing up to my email list so I have your information and I can target you when I'm in your city. It's buying this piece of vinyl. Buying into my lifestyle, you're a fan, but you're championing me to other people as well. So now you're like, man, did you hear this little baby album? This is crazy. Oh, you got a shirt? I'm going to his show. Like, you know, you're an advocate. You're part of my street team. You know what I'm saying? So you got the music. You might have heard the music in a streaming service for free. But now you're engulfed in everything that I do. You are now an advocate for me. You are part of my street team. You're spreading my gospel. You're spreading my music. So the culture of Little Baby, you are a part of now. You know what I'm saying? Is there anything you do additionally to drum up the support and to keep the energy with the folks that are in the street team? Because I'm sure you all may not necessarily be able to be everywhere, but you definitely got people in every corner, every big city that are willing to vouch for you. Yeah, you try to create unique fan engagement. So especially in these times where there's super strange things happening and you have to put your thinking caps on and think outside of the box. The people that are winning are the people who think outside of the box and the creative guys like Busy and the rest of the people at Cinematic. Because now you have to pivot away from, I put out an album, I'm going to the radio station, meet and greet, shake hands, go on the tour. Like that's not happening no more. Well, at the moment, unfortunately, because of COVID and everything. So now you create unique fan engagements, whether that's through a TikTok campaign, something with one of the DSPs, are you doing a unique individual concert where you are activating some of the people who you have on your mailing list. You have to create different ways that you engage your fans and kind of galvanize them and get them to be engulfed in everything that you're doing. 
Yeah, Busy, I'm curious for you, is there any type of creative project that you've worked on that is definitely outside the box that you look back on and you're like, no, that was dope. We need to try to do something like this for this other artist that come through or this other person. He's very modest, but everything he does is creative. Oh, I was really, really about to be like, no, I can't think No, I will say this. I'm yeah, glad you exactly. set him up. I will say this. I don't know if this is a popular term, but like effective marketing, like with the A, like affections. So a lot of big brands will do this, right? They will try to advertise something to you and try to evoke a feeling or try to make you associate their product with an emotion. So you might see a downy, right? They have like the cuddly teddy bear and like you see the teddy bear fall into like a bunch of towels and you're like, damn, like, so now you're thinking like downy is like soft and cuddly and warm and comfort. And when you're shopping, you see Downey. I really love when artists have the ability to really connect with their artists in that way, that any product or anything that they put out like resonates with their fans' emotions, right? So whether that be like Triumph, you know what I'm saying? Like we have artists like Young and Ace, right? He's been through some shit. He was shot eight times. He was involved in like a triple homicide. He was a sole survivor. That really, it was a terrible tragedy, but like that galvanized his fan base and that really made people connect with him. Like, damn, like Ace been through some shit. If Ace can get through that, like I can get through X, Y, Z. And now that allows kind of everything that is tethered to Young and Ace to kind of have that same effect. So he drops a t-shirt. It's not just a t-shirt with like a logo on it. It is a t-shirt that is tugging on people's heartstrings because it, it means something to them. So I think any opportunity to really have the artist connect with fans in that way that you can implement effective marketing and not in like a fucking mind control kind of way, just organic, natural ways. Those are my favorite things to participate in because I really feel like it's really connecting. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like a song that people like, like they're really connecting with the artist, and that's how you have a long career. Whenever you're only as hot as the song you have on the radio, the ground can fall out from under you at any time. Only good is your last hit. Exactly. But when you have those fans that are rocking with you that are like, yo, I fuck with this dude, like, because of whatever that reason is, then you can have a long career. It's good to hear that y'all are thinking about this, right? Because you're also talking Downey, of course, owned by one of these big consumer packaged goods companies, tons of money behind them. But I think there's still a lot of their principles that apply to y'all. And I think about that comparison a lot when you think about the major labels as well versus the smaller indie shops like where y'all are at now. And I think that obviously there's some pros and cons with the two of them. I'm sure you know, both of you are very well aware of that given major labels. You have much more money at your disposal, but you have a much stricter focus in terms of what you're often given the leeway to do. But for you all, it may be the opposite where the money may be a little bit less, but you have much more freedom to be able to push a lot of the creative things that you've been discussing. What's that experience been like? Hovain is rich. I just want to put that out there. I don't know. You said less money. Hovain is rich. <laughs> I think we have a healthy balance. Like we're not spending 15 million on an artist rollout but we're not spending $4 either. So we're able to compete in the same marketplace and that same market share. When we drop an album and a major drops an album, you're not going to not see us or, you know what I'm saying? Our videos look just as good. Our rollouts are just as good. But what we do have is like Busy said, we're lean. We can make adjustments. It's like a speedboat versus a yacht. Like a yacht, it takes a lot to turn it. Like you might see a 
iceberg coming, but you might not be able to change course that quickly. With us, we jet in and out, pew, pew, make these changes, roll with adversity, make on-the-fly calls, call your CEO at four in the morning and be like, hey, we need to do this. And he'd be like, all right, I get it, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? So it's a healthy balance, spending and creativity. Us being like lean and agile in that way, it also allows for us to really do artist development, right? Which is what I think cinematic is at the forefront of right now, right? Like major labels, they want just add water artists. Like they want artists that probably are already verified and already have this amount of followers because that's what they need, right? Because they have this huge overhead that they have to account for. It's like, yo, I don't have the time to play games with you and coach you through this process because I have all of this overhead that I need to, I need some shit that's going to work right now. Whereas like cinematic, that's what we do. You know what I'm saying? Like it's very family environment to work with the artists in that way and groom them and see them through like hove is going next week to another city to like help this artist just get his life right like get him in a house and help him buy a car and all these types of things that like you're not going to get at a major label that's what's most fulfilling for me honestly like i've had opportunities to work at major labels but right now like working with young artists and getting them going from the ground up that's what's gratifying for me Busy, you had had experience working for a major, right? Whether it's for a past internship or past job, you'd work for one of the big ones, right? So I was supposed to have like an intern for a semester. I was at Columbia Records. I was interning with, there was a few people there while I was there. But I wound up turning the internship into like an 18-month internship because I like photoshopped my ID. I was there illegally, essentially. <laughs> Finesse the system. <laughs> yeah, I was with Chad Elliott. And then I was interning Kiambo Joshua, who's known as Hip Hop. He runs the manager company Hip Cop since 1978. So yeah, I was there for like a year and a half in a major label. And in a lot of ways, I could say I didn't really learn that much. But that in itself is like a learning experience. Like I saw back then, like there's just, why are we rolling stuff out the same way that we did, you know, 50 years ago? It's just a lot of art. It's since made a lot of changes since I was an intern. This was like 2007. But at the time, it was just like a lot of archaic shit happening. And that's when I learned that like I wanted to take an indie route. Yeah, and I feel like 07, 08 was just a big turning point in general with all the entire music industry and I think the major labels being the sign of something that needed to be disrupted, especially back then. Hove, you had mentioned that the majors can get projects done the same way that you all do, but you're spending a fraction of the money. So where are the majors spending that money that you're not? Because, of course, there's a trade-off, right? I know you mentioned it was a speedboat versus the yacht, but the yacht still does have advantages of being able to, you know, move fast, get there quicker. So what does that look like? Like, What are those trade-offs that you had to accept by not being at a major? And, like, where would you spend more money if you had more money? I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't look at any major and be like, wow, they're really killing us. If we just had X, Y, Z, then... We would be right here. I think they have longstanding relationships. I think they have certain market share that comes with tradition and shit like that. But I don't think there's nothing which a major can accomplish that we couldn't. They might have a larger staff. So maybe it's 55 people on a project as opposed to 15. But I'll take my 15 versus that any day. Facts. Facts. (laughs) That's what's up. One of the other things I think is important that I've seen more so with the smaller indie labels is how they're able to 
at least try to outlive their flagship artist and the artists that really put them on. Because I feel like especially in the past two decades, there was much more rise of the smaller indie labels started by an artist and their go-to, and the two of them rose up through the ranks together. Cinematic isn't necessarily built that way, so I do think that you all have some advantages there. But you definitely do have some marquee artists who are definitely, I would say, Paying the bills may not necessarily be the right word, but they are bringing in much more of the revenue to then allow for the younger artists to then grow up under the system. So what does the longevity look like from being able to have cinematic continue much longer than, you know, the marquee artists are currently on the label? Shipes is very modest, right? The fabric of cinematic is all about artist vision comes first and cinematic has always not been at the forefront at all right like there's a lot of other labels where like you know the label and the, the artist is secondary but cinematic for a long time has almost been the opposite i think it's been very recently that we've kind of made it a point to kind of talk our shit you know when we can and let people know and kind of brand cinematic and raise that awareness and realize that you know we are a brand there's nothing wrong with that we're not taking anything away from the artist by also letting you know like yo we're really ill at what we do you know what i'm saying we have a great staff we have progressive deals i would say that there's kind of been a shift where now we're not only as cool as our hottest artists you know what i'm saying like people know cinematic independently of any other artist so the plan and the goal is to continue to do that and then eventually just knowing that we can offer that cachet to new artists like oh, I never heard of this person. They signed a cinematic. Like, I got to check them out. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to like, I know Artist X. Like, oh, you know, cinematic, never heard of them. Oh, it's the label that Artist X is on. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I get it now. So in the past, like I said, two to three years, we've been, you know, just being mindful of that and understanding the value. And it's not only self-serving for the label, but like I said, when another artist comes along, we can immediately extend that credibility to them because we are the shit. 100%. And to expound a little bit on what Busy said, we treat cinematic almost as if it's a management client, as if it's another artist. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, with the branding, the way things look. Busy handles a lot of that. Like, the design of our logo shirts, the varsity jackets, the hat. Like, I might be just wearing a hat because, you know, it's a cinematic hat, and somebody like, yo, that's fire. I want, can I have it? Like, I started to get a lot more of that. People see a cinematic jacket or a chain, they're like, yo, this is fire. This is dope. So it's like, you know, growing up, you seen people Rockefeller apparel on, you wanted that shit. The Def Jam jacket meant everything. Well, fucking Master P and there's just tons of labels. So I think that we brought a lot of that back. The nostalgia of being cool and having a cool label and a cool home and cool people. And repping. Yeah, like I want to be on this label. I want to be cool. I want to feel like I belong to something that's dope. Like, you know, nobody wants to go somewhere in a super corporate structure and you're making music that's totally 360 of the structure that you're in. You go to some of these companies and it's like the artist might come in for a day and, hey, can I smoke here? No. Like, I thought this was hip hop. What what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? So I think we're very conscientious of the brand cinematic and we treat it like it's a person. 
That makes sense. And I think that's the way you got to do it. A couple months ago, I had Eve Hamad from Dreamville on the podcast, and he was talking about the same thing. He said, one of our biggest focus points right now is separating the brand of coal from Dreamville. And I said to him, I'm like, I imagine that's very difficult to do. And he's like, it is. But, you know, we've been doing what we can. And I mean, it can be especially challenging given this past week with what J. Cole has said and stuff like that. And you don't want that to impact the brand, you know? Yeah, you want the brand to be able to stand alone. Like, you know, Cole built that house. Him and Eve built that. But what happens when Eve goes on and be's a, a sport agent and is making $30 million a year? Does that mean Dreamville should mean nothing? Or what happens in five years when Cole retires and starts a large super family, 15 kids, and he doesn't want to rap no more? Does that fall by the wayside? Nah, the brand got to remain. The brand is bigger than one artist, one person, one exec. The brand is a living, breathing thing. You got to treat it as such. And I know you said those things about Cole and Eve hypothetically, but I think none of us would be surprised if that's going to happen. No, no, no. No, that's going to happen. Eve is a super smart dude. And you can tell Cole is kind of like not over hip hop yet, but in five years, I can imagine when you have four, five, six kids, you're going to be like, man. Do I really want to put out an album? Right. And he might be over it even sooner, given the back and forth with No Name and all this. Yeah, they trying to chase my man out of here. <laughs> no, it's something else. So we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but what specific adjustments did you all make once COVID took off, right? Because it sounds like you all are still in motion. The business is still going, but... Like when March 13th hit, like the middle of March hit and everyone was in like panic mode, what did Cinematic do? Like what were the big things that you had planned for 2020 and how have you pivoted since then? We had a festival planned. We had a whole Smokers Club Fest planned. Big show, a lot of artists, big A-list names. And like everybody else, the plans changed rapidly. So it's not canceled. It's, it's on postponed or hiatus. So the first... Days is opening up. We're going to get everything back rocking. We had to figure out ways to be relevant, like, you know, and how to uh, keep our artists in front of the eyes, shoot videos where we can, safely, socially distant. We had albums that were already coming, music that was already done. We had some artists that were working on music going to the studio, so we had to get them home setups so they could record themselves or record at home with a friend or another engineer. No one thing is a la carte. Whatever it was needed for said artist, we did to make it the best of the worst type of situation that possibly could happen. Busy, what did those changes look like on your end? I mean, a lot of them are the same, right? Like safety was a top priority as soon as COVID kind of hit. You know, we deaded all the travel for the artists, all the travel for the staff. And so we could kind of really just assess the landscape of what was going on and make sure everybody was safe. Shut down the office. Yeah, we shut down the office. I think we shut down the office before it was even like a state mandate kind of thing just because, you know, we wanted to be safe. But then on the creative front, it was interesting. It kind of got busier for us with everything having to pivot immediately to digital, you know, all of that social media real estate kind of had to be accounted for, right? So we have, you know, our creative team, Dom, Tia, CP, shout out to them. There are designers, art director, and there was really just uptick and output. You know, everything almost kind of needed an asset at that point because everybody wanted to just remain active. So it came down to like, you know, Abby Jasmine's top 10 Netflix movies. That is something that we needed to like churn out and churn it out for the entire roster. 
and then everybody's doing Zoom interviews and stuff like that. So for us, honestly, meaning like the art department, it didn't really slow down. It actually kind of got busier. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely see that. I could even relate to a lot of that, right? Like in some ways things slowed down a bit because I wasn't traveling, but because of the new opportunities with Zoom and I'm now working from home, I'm just not commuting anymore. Things did become busier for a minute. So I had to like pause and reset for a second before I just kept churning and pushing stuff through. So it's been a lot. But question for y'all in terms of getting things back to normal. I know that your festival is postponed. You're going to be eventually rolling that out. Where does Cinematic as a business stand on reopening? Are you following what the state and local governments are saying? Are you all making your own calls? I don't know. We're 1,000% doing what the state and legislators have been saying. We're in phase two. We're not rushing it. We don't want anybody to get sick, anybody to lose their life. It's not that serious. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to put anybody's safety or anybody else's loved ones at risk. It might not be you. It might be somebody you live with has a compromised immune system that can't handle it. We don't want to do anything to put anybody at risk. So we're going to take it step by step as slow as possible. Or if they say tomorrow we're opening, we're not going to rush in tomorrow. We'll give it another week, let the smoke clears, and let's see how it is. Because it can be tough in some of these states, right? Because whether it's like Florida or Texas, they're all ready to open up. But like the numbers are showing that no, like they probably went a little too early. So it's it could be a tough call. We already kind of established the earliest, like the absolute earliest that we would be comfortable going back to the office. So even if they are like next month, hey, you guys can be open, we probably still won't just because, I mean, one, we can, right? Like, again, we're leaning that way where it's like, no, we're good. We're in no rush to get back into like the physical workspace if there's any looming danger. That's good to hear. It's it's tough. I think similarly, yeah, who knows when my next LA trip is going to be when I go for work things or to New York. It'll probably be long after the officials give the green light, but we'll see how it turns out. So we're getting to the tail end. And before we let you guys go, is there anything else that you think the Trapital audience should know about? Any projects you're working on? Anything else that you want to plug? Young and Ace album, soon. The Dundada, Lil Kel, new single and video out, How to Love. Abby Jasmine just put out an amazing album. Slater put out an amazing album yesterday. I want people to look out for Cinematic. We were just put on the uh, Billboard's Indie Power Players list. People starting to realize and see what's going on. I work with some of the dopest and most creative and uh, hardworking people. And just stay tuned to everything Cinematic has going. Busy is really rich and he dresses really well. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, guys. Thank you for having us. Hope (laughs) you. <laughs> keep empowering artists. Keep actively being anti-racist and wash your hands. That's all I gotta say. Yes, wash your hands, empower black people, put them in position besides head of diversity. <laughs> No, for real, though. For real. Like, I mean, the statements are great. The donations are great. But the change comes from empowered people. And that's what we need to do. I'm so glad to work for a company that believes in that, because as you see, you're talking to some of the highest ranking people at Cinematic and they're both brown and black people. Yeah, no, it's great to see. That's where when you want to make changes, it's not like you have to like plead to anyone. You all are the leadership. That's how this happens. I hope that young people coming up 
see what we're doing and we're leading by example, I hope that we are inspiring the youth and the next people. And I hope to find the next me and the next busy who dresses really well and wears the T shirts. <laughs> I'm up on you guys, man. no but i appreciate you both i think that cinematic's doing great stuff and congrats on the billboard placement because i think those are the things that just build the awareness make sure that not just for the folks in the industry but for the people looking on the outside that can be inspired by this and also the brands and companies that want to connect they hear what you all are doing so i think this is good Thank you both, and let me let you both go before Hope tries to drag Busy anymore. Please, you're killing Yo, me. <laughs> in all seriousness, that's a Christian Dior t-shirt, but really I wanted to say protect your mental health, check on your friends, check on your strong friends, check on the people that you think will never need help. Everybody's going through something. These are really dire times. Check on your friends, send a text, call, check on your people, and show love to us people. You never know who needs it. That's right. Well said. I appreciate you both. Thank you. Peace, Dan. Peace and love. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a review, rate the podcast. I will screenshot and share the podcast ratings on Twitter and Instagram. That can encourage more people to share the podcast. And if this podcast is your first introduction to Trapital, then make sure you check out the rest of the content. Go to Trapital.co. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L.co. Sign up for the weekly newsletter. Get all the content there and also shoot me a text that's also a great way to stay in touch with Trapola content you can text me dan runcy at 415-234-3074 thanks again see you next week